This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and I'm joined as always by George Smith. George, how are you? I'm very well, thank you, mate. How's things with yourself? Good Easter? Yes, good Easter. Back-to-back wins for Grimsby Town, which was uh, coincidentally my last game Covering the club, uh, trip to Kingsland Town yesterday, so a nice Easter Monday spent in Norfolk. Uh, we're going to be covering Blackburn Rovers moving forward for Lanks Live. So looking forward to obviously getting my teeth into a championship club, which obviously we love on this podcast. And uh, a little bit more insight on Rovers from first-hand experience covering them home and away. So looking forward to that. Uh, but nice to sign off with two wins with, at Grimsby Town. Plenty of football, of course, for us to get our teeth stuck into over the this, this mammoth Easter weekend that we've just seen and enjoyed. And as always, a reminder to make sure you are subscribed to this podcast feed, which you can find on all your usual platforms and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. On today's podcast, we'll be analysing a blockbuster feast of Easter football as Derby County were relegated, Nottingham Forest won big and the race for the playoffs continue. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. We are going to start at the bottom of the championship table after Derby County's fate was officially sealed as they lost 1-0 to Queen's Park Rangers. Results elsewhere in the table, uh, most notably a 4 all draw for Reading against Swansea, meant that Derby will now play in League One for the first time in 36 years. The comeback victory on, on Good Friday over Fulham um, was just a, a stay of execution, sadly, and, and they finally dropped down to the third tier of English football. In fairness to Derby, it's a remarkable. It's remarkable that they weren't relegated months ago. When you consider not even the off-the-field things, but the the squad that Wayne Rooney sort of inherited in the summer, and I do say inherited because he had very little um, say in what it looked like. And as I say, with with that sort of squad, it's remarkable they weren't rock bottom anyway. Never mind when you throw in the uncertainty that's hung over the club all season and constant speculation about new owners and financial turmoil. Twenty-one points deducted proved too big an obstacle but I think we all saw the scenes at Moor Farm last night where the, the fans went to, to Derby County's training ground to clap the, the players as they came back from London and I think it's fair to say that the mood around the club this is not a relegation to be ashamed of this is a relegation that has ultimately been decided by irresponsible owners and a lack of financial responsibility which, which is ultimately going to see the club play in the third tier next season Wayne Rooney and Derby County can be very proud of their efforts. Um, they never gave up. The home form's been fantastic. Yes, they're not blameless in the fact that uh, the away form's been been pretty poor. Nine away defeats on the trot after the defeat to QPR. But ultimately, without that 21 points deduction, which none of the players or staff had anything to do with, they would be playing Championship football next season. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It was a, a valiant effort. It really was. And even though it's been... He's been pretty nailed on for a while, even though there was a brief spell where we thought they might actually get out of this and perform a, a real footballing miracle. I think deep down we all knew that this was going to happen, but to have to have taken it to the Easter weekend before it was officially confirmed deserves enormous amounts of praise for Wayne Rooney, his players, everybody at the club, the staff, the fans, everybody, because as obviously as hard a time it's been off the pitch, I think on the pitch, those players and Wayne Rooney have done themselves incredibly proud and and they can hold their heads up high because they've gone down, but most certainly not without a fight. 
like you said, it was it was always going to be an uphill struggle from the from the very first whistle at the start of the season. Obviously, the the squad was in ruins. There was hardly anything for Wayne Rooney to to work with. He's lost key players throughout the season, none none of which is was his fault. And to have still had the belief and the spirit to have taken it this far deserves enormous levels of credit. And I think for Derby now, obviously, they've got to get the ownership situation sorted out. And, and who knows what will happen there. But things are seemingly certainly heading in the right direction. But for, for football in matters, I think they can be immensely proud of what they've achieved. Because, yeah, on, on paper, they've suffered a relegation, a, a heartbreaking one to the third tier of English football for the first time in a long, long time. But effectively, it's been caused by off, off-field mismanagement, which the players and Wayne Rooney and most certainly the supporters are, are blameless for. So as, as difficult it must be for them to stomach and to take, it's, it's an effort that's seen them go down, certainly not with a whimper. They've gone down with fight, with character, with belief. And Wayne Rooney's speech outside the train ground on, on Monday evening certainly suggested that he, he's up for the fight of what's to come. Obviously, speculation is, is going to dominate his future over the coming months. Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? Is he going to get offered a job elsewhere? But Wayne Rooney, to his, to his credit, whatever happens, I think he deserves enormous praise for, for sticking around. Obviously, the opportunity was there that Everton was sniffing around for him to go and manage his boyhood club in the Premier League. Lavish amounts of money and he chose to stay. Huge credit to him. And Wayne Rooney certainly gone up in my estimations. He really has. And he can he can hold his head very, very high in what he's achieved and what he's done this season. And I remember we, I put a post on the podcast page a few weeks ago about several contenders for manager of the season. And I put Wayne Rooney on the list and it was mocked. I can understand why in some cases, but I think in the circumstances, even though obviously relegation is not an achievement, it is a failure. But I think in what he did in galvanising everyone in such a difficult time and giving it everything deserves praise. So Wayne Rooney, for me, could hold his head very, very high. I think he's gone up in the estimations of a lot of people. And full credit to him, he's done a, he's done a terrific job in the circumstances, even though it's resulted in relegation. Yeah, you can look at the away form. It, it has been poor, there's no denying it. But their home form has been terrific. So it's just one of those where if they've just been able to be a little bit more solid on the road, they might have got out of this. But let's be honest, to take it to, to 43 games and, and be confirmed as relegated after that, it's a hell of an effort in the circumstances. So well done to him. And I'm sure they'll be back before too long. Yeah, it's sad to see a big club go down in the way that they have. And let's be fair, they even forget all the off-field issues. With the squad they've got anyway, it's a bottom three-level squad with all the youngsters they've relied on this season. And so many of them have stepped up and thrown into the deep end by Wayne Rooney as they've had to be. And they've played with courage and without fear. And I think Derby fans have got a lot to be proud of, really, of this season, given the, the circumstances. Worth touching on QPR as well, George, because it's been a big Easter weekend for them with four points collected from the two games. Really good performance against Huddersfield, albeit they didn't win, drawing two all at the John Smith Stadium and twice coming from behind and then getting the victory in this one as well with a clean sheet. Luke Amos's late goal um, whilst consigning Derby to League One also gives them a sniff, just a sniff of a chance of getting in that top six. Um, the 10th in the table, so a lot of traffic in front of them as we've said many times in this playoff battle but only three points off the playoffs ultimately so Mark Warburton's side with three games to go it's not completely out of the question and a, a big four points for them over the Easter period which they really needed to to save their season. Elsewhere in the at the bottom of the championship Barnsley nil Peterborough United two massive massive win for Peterborough which 
keeps their very faint hopes alive of staying in the championship. There's seven points adrift of safety with nine left to play for. So it does still look like the inevitable and they will be relegated to League One. But they're going down in the best way possible, as daft as that sounds. Vast, vast improvements under Grant McCann, particularly away from home. They've already picked up more points away from home under McCann than they did under Ferguson in the championship, as we said last week. And another win and a clean sheet, nonetheless, um, to add to that. Just shows that maybe if they'd made a change a little bit earlier, they might have stood a better chance of staying up. That said, of course, Grant McCann was only out of work for about a month, so they might not have got McCann if they'd made the change that much earlier. But even a few weeks might have made a difference as they tried to stay up. Jack Marriott's fit and firing again. I think we all know he's good enough to play at championship level. He's certainly a good enough finisher. He just can't stay fit, and that's that's the reason why he'll play in League One next season rather than his ability. But the whole mood around the club is the polar opposite to what you would say at Barnsley at the minute. And you fancy Peterborough with the squad they've got, with the manager they've got, and the firepower at the top end of the pitch to be right up there challenging at the top end of League One. Uh, under Grant McCann, who of course won the League One title last time out with Hull City. Barnsley, on the other hand, are going out with a bit of a whimper after you know starting the, the fight back in March and late February. Hugely damaging back-to-back defeats over the Easter weekend, uh, which means they will go down. It's not been mathematically confirmed because they've still got a game in hand despite being below Derby County and bottom of the, the championship table, but um, they, they just don't have the quality. They've not had the goal-scoring instincts and uh, unfortunately they'll be going down to the championship. I think both of these teams will, but it feels like they're both going down in very different places. Yeah, I would agree with that. Peter, they've surprised me in a way because even though obviously uh, a lot of clubs often get that new manager bounce, I think with the amount of goals that Peter have conceded this season, I always thought it was going to be difficult, but they've given themselves a sniff of a chance and at the minute, yeah, it does look unlikely. They're, they're seven points adrift with three games to go. So, realistically, they, they need to win all three games and hope that Rennie don't pick up another point. It's as simple as that. Because obviously, the goal difference is so poor as well. So, it's 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 not mathematically impossible, but on, on the on the face of it, you do think it is a pretty tall order. But you've got to give Peterborough credit because they've, they've refused to throw the towel in. And when you look at their recent form, I think it's just one defeat now in the last six games. They've won back-to-back back-to-back games over Easter. We've won at QPR not too long ago. They got a point at home to Luton, which as well shouldn't be sniffed at with the form they've been in. So aside from that Middlesbrough thumping, they've been in good form over the past four weeks or so in, in the last month. So Grant McCann does deserve credit for the way he's gone in there and been able to install some belief into a group of players that must have been at rock bottom and already accepting their fate of going down to League One just a year after coming up. So... I think Grant McCann deserves credit. And like you said, if they'd made that change earlier in terms of getting rid of Darren Ferguson, say bringing somebody else in before uh, Grant McCann was sacked by Hull, who knows what would have happened. It's obviously football hindsight. It's a wonderful thing. But at the minute, they're looking in a, in a good place and they're looking strong and they're looking competitive. That's the thing, obviously. Blackburn, we know, are not in, in great form at the minute, but they had the courage to turn that game around on Good Friday with about 13 minutes left. They were 1-0 down and came back and won it. So it shows that they've got belief in the in the squad, which when you've been at the bottom for, for the whole season you, and you are pretty much accepted to relegation, it shows that there is fight in that dressing room, which can only be a good thing for the fans and for Grant McCann. So he's not dead and buried just yet, but I think on the face of it, it's very unlikely because Reading, who I'm sure we'll speak about later on, are, are ticking along reasonably well in their fight to avoid the drop. And 
it looks unlikely now that they'll fall through the trap door. So Peterborough potentially just left it that little bit too late. But when you look at their three remaining games, they've got Forest at home, Millwall away, Blackpool at home. It's not the easiest conclusion to the season. It really isn't. They've got to play two sides that have still got massive things to play for. Blackpool obviously not got anything to play for, but still a, a very good side on the day has proven on, on Easter Monday. So it's it's not impossible, but I think overall we, we can accept that Peterborough are down, but certainly not without a fight and not with any disgrace at this point. Let's just touch on Reading now whilst we're wrapping up the, the picture at the bottom of the table. Obviously, we don't go too in-depth on draws usually, but given we're at this stage of the season and it was a, a mammoth four-all draw, it would be <laughs> it'd be unfair to not discuss the game. Obviously, they were 4-1 down after taking the lead, which is just bizarre in itself. Um, and a really good fight back. Tom McIntyre, what, what a few days he's been. He scores his first goal for the club away at Sheffield United in the, in the 92nd minute and then gets the equaliser in the 95th minute. Four days Coventry, later, Coventry will be looking to sign in with this record of yeah, injury time goals. Yeah, you've heard it He's here first. Well. It's a championship <laughs> chat exclusive transfer line. Tom McIntyre to Coventry uh, in the summer, um, but yeah, Reading certainly have improved. Four points over the weekend is very, very good from them. We said last week we don't think Paul Ince is particularly the man to take the club forward. I would still stand by that because I think of the four teams that have sort of been down there fighting to stay up, they definitely were underperforming the most in terms of the squad they've got, the talent they've got, and with players coming back from injury, that has helped. Josh Lawrence stepped into some form, so has Lucas Joao. So I definitely think they were the most likely to rise up anyway. Uh, but Ince has definitely done his job right. He's got Tom Ince playing well and chipping in with goals as well. Um, he seems to have got the, the the psyche right with his son. And that point, in my opinion, probably means Redden are safe. I know we've just said pretty much the same, then they will go down. But I think that that is probably the point that will secure Reading safety for next season. But they've got to get the summer right if they're going to avoid being in this situation next season. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think to Paul Ince's credit, since he's come in, and, and when it was announced, obviously we were critical of it. And I think a lot of hell of a lot of Reading fans were, weren't they? It was a very bizarre move considering out of the game for so long. But I think to, to his credit, I think he's gone in there and I think he's done a decent job. I really do. I don't think it's the long-term goal that Reading should should go with. But I think in the short term, I think he's defied expectations. I really do because I didn't think he'd do so well. It's one defeat in the last seven. They beat, obviously, a Sheffield United side that have been flying at Bramall Lane. Obviously, it showed the courage to come back from 4-1 down, which whatever position in the league you're in, whatever league you're in, that is a hell of, a, hell of an effort to come back from 4-1 down and get a point. So, credit to him. He's done really, really well in the circumstances. Like you say, it's been helped by the return of key players, look as, such as Lucas Joao, who's been really good in the last few games. So, Reading are uh, putting themselves in a good position ahead of what is going to be a really big summer. The manager appointment, obviously, Paul Ince, I think, correctly deserves to have his name thrown into the hat. I think it's only fair. But I don't think it is the long-term solution for Reading moving forward. But to their credit, they've shown great levels of character, belief in the last few games. And like I say, one defeat in seven, it's not to be sniffed at at this stage of the season. So fair play to them. They've put a good run together and they they are now very close to, to uh, securing survival officially. But I think deep down, we all know that the job is done. Absolutely. Right. Plenty to get into at the top end of the table we're going to start with the games uh, with the with Monday's early game which was Middlesbrough nil Huddersfield Town 2 
for me, a result that secures Huddersfield Town's top six spot, I, I think they will be in the playoffs after this win. Four points, well, seven points over the last three fixtures against playoff rivals is a fantastic return. And I said before the international break, after they picked up one point in nine, um, that the game against Hull straight after the international break would be absolutely crucial. They won that game 1-0 and deservedly so. Got over the line as well. It wasn't easy, but they deserved the win. And then they've taken 10 points out of 12 since the international break, beating Middlesbrough, uh, beating Luton and drawing, of course, with QPR on Friday. Against tough playoff rivals, That's that's they are a team that knows how to play the big occasion as well as beat the, the minnows or the smaller teams in the divisions with inverted commas. Um, defensively, they are assured. They're confident in attack and they're capable of making changes to the, the team and still winning. They're not overly reliant on key personnel. Look at the team that went to Middlesbrough. No Matty Pearson, who's out for the season. No Levi Colwell. No Danny Ward. Jordan Rhodes up front, who's not played a great deal of football. And they still were good value for the win. Very good from set pieces as well, which has been a common theme throughout the season. If you're going to win away from home, set pieces are really important. And for me... Unless Nottingham Forest get promoted under Steve Cooper, Carlos Corberan is manager of the season for getting Huddersfield into the playoffs because that's where they're going to finish. They're not going to sneak in either. They're more likely to finish third or fourth than they are fifth or sixth at this point. And the way he has transformed that defence, yes, they brought new players in, but they've not spent buckets. It is a new back five. But I didn't think he got the ability to coach a team defensively. And the way he's done that and the way he's made them so resolute and, and made players that were not on the scrap heap, but certainly weren't desirable when Tom Lee's on a free, Matty Pearson on a free, Lee Nichols on a free. These are not players that they'll have had huge competition to uh, for their signatures. They won't have had to fight off loads of other clubs, but Corbrand's brought them in, adapted his system throughout the season. They started at 3-5-2, then they went to 3-4-3, and then 4-3-3. They've recently been playing 4-4-2 away from home with Lewis O'Brien or Sober Thomas playing up alongside Danny Ward. And he's, he's adaptable, but defensively, that has been the remarked improvement this season for Huddersfield Town. And for me, he is manager of the season unless Steve Cooper leads Nottingham Forest to promotion. I can't disagree with any of that. I really, really can't. I watched the game in its entirety against Middlesbrough on Easter Monday and I thought Huddersfield were absolutely excellent. I really did. I thought it was such a professional away performance to a tee that they could they could be immensely proud of it and we've we've kind of thought about Huddersfield haven't we over the last few months we've kind of thought this is going to be the point where they fall away this is where they're going to going to begin to crumble this is where they're going to begin to fade and obviously after that West Brom setback where they were 2 and up with a few minutes left and drew 2-2 then they had the Millwall defeat the Bournemouth defeat we all thought that was going to be the beginning of the end for Huddersfield in in terms of their promotion charge that whole victory after the international break has, has kick-started their season again. And given that Sky Sports have seemingly got this obsession with Huddersfield, where every game seems to be on Sky at the minute, the Huddersfield play, and they're on Sky again this coming Friday night against Barnsley. I've seen a lot of them in the last few weeks. I think, I think they've played they, about one game Saturday 3pm. They, since they the do seem to be on telly a hell of a lot, I must admit. So I've seen a hell of a lot of Huddersfield in the last few weeks. I've watched a lot of them. And there is so much to admire about what this Huddersfield team is about. And obviously, it all extends from Carlos Corbram in terms of what he's installed, a long-term philosophy. And I said last season, didn't I, several times that it would take time to implement the philosophy and the vision that he's got. The summer recruitment, 
we weren't overly impressed by it. I mean, there were some smart additions in there, but we didn't think it was going to all come together to mount a promotion charge. Neither and did Huddersfield Town fans. That's the big thing, isn't it? I'll it's not that we that. were wrong looking on the outside in. Huddersfield yeah. Town fans on the inside didn't think any of this was possible either. And this is the crazy thing. Ahead of recording this, I actually looked at my my uh, pre-season predictions, what I made at the start of the season. I will go on record and say I put Huddersfield to finish 21st. Well, that I mean, you've, already, you've already been on record once by recording the podcast. Exactly. But there you go. <laughs> I am placing this out. <laughs> I'll put this on record, even though I put it on record in August. That's the one. That's the one. Anyway... 21st, I predicted them to finish. So that has just gone to show what an incredible job they've done. I think I, I, think I had them 21st I as think well, 20th. Just a couple of points I want to make on Huddersfield, collectively and the game at Borough. Starting collectively, Huddersfield, I look at that team and I think they haven't got a team packed full of flair players and superstars that are considered as elite championship players. Aside from probably Lewis O'Brien and probably Sorba Thomas, you don't look at that team and think, wow, there's some real key danger men in there that are really going to hurt us. Whereas, obviously, the likes of Danny Ward, they're effective, they're efficient, but you don't consider them as top-end championship players. And I don't no. mean that with any disrespect. So, I think, aside from Lewis Bryan and Sorba Thomas, you take them out and you think, where's the creativity levels? Where's the flair in that in that Huddersfield team? As for the, the, um, the win at Borough, as I said, I thought it was a superb away performance. I thought it was so professional. So solid, so compact, so efficient. And Jordan Rhodes, I mean, that was probably his best performance for a long, long time. Got an probably assist his best on the finish goal, for a long, long time. Led the line brilliantly. Cracking finish, as you say. His all-round game was just superb and deserved man of the match for me. I thought he had a really, really good game. And it just shows that Huddersfield have that flexibility to change things up and, and just mould things that little bit differently. And after that game, he said, I actually dug out a tweet after we made on the podcast last month about when we backed the four teams who we thought would finish in the top six, uh, in the four playoff places, I should say. This was on the 15th of March. You left Huddersfield out of that equation. I know. And I left them in. So it just goes to show how they have defied expectations. You left QPR in there. I ditched them. So it's just it's just been a crazy month. So you dug that but out basically just to just to get one over on me on, on yes. the recording. Yeah, you can get me back with something else probably. I'm sure there's many many times where you've uh, found a way to, many, to annoy many, me. Many, many, many times, times, both on this and off it. But there we go. But yeah, Huddersfield, absolutely terrific. I'd be astounded now if they dropped out of the top, top six. Absolutely astounded. And I'll tell you something. If, if it boils down to where Bournemouth go up automatically with Fulham, which is, is looking likely, I think the prospect of Huddersfield and Nottingham Forest going toe-to-toe in the playoffs... I could not call it because both of them have been terrific. But Huddersfield, for me, the, even though obviously Forrest have come from rock bottom of the table into this position, I think at the start of the season, if Huddersfield do this, I think it would go down as one of the biggest championship achievements we've ever seen for, for what they did in the summer in terms of spending and very, very little and what they did recruitment-wise because they've just got it to a T. A lot of players have stepped up, proven themselves. And like you said, Carlos Corberan, he has to be in contention with manager of the season without any shadow of a doubt. He's been superb. It's always difficult to work out the criteria on how you judge a manager of the season and these sort of rewards. But I think for me, it's got to be what did I expect from the team at the start of the season? Now, Luton, of course, what they're achieving is amazing. But I actually thought Luton would be in the top 10 at the start of the season because of their smart recruitment. Huddersfield, I had 20th, 21st like you. 
Um, so unless Derby had stayed up, and again, Nottingham Forest, we didn't expect them to be so far down at the start of the season. So I think that slightly detracts against them. But if they get promoted from the position they were in, that would have to top it for me. But that's why I, totally I go Corberan. Totally agree. Because, I mean, no disrespect to Huddersfield. And I think a lot of their fans would agree. When you looked at their recruitment last was. summer, Lee Nichols, I don't think he'd ever played championship football, certainly not consistently. Um, Matty Pearson came in, not a well-renowned big championship defender. Obviously, Josh Ruffles came in from Oxford United. John Russell was in a no quantity. Levi Colwell, nobody ever heard of him. Aside from really Tom Lees and Jordan Rhodes, you weren't really looking at that as thinking... Who were just off the back of a relegation season, with Sheffield Wednesday exactly. as well and hadn't but performed we're, particularly brilliant. But were seasoned pros at championship level and more recognisable, shall we say, than the other signings. So in that sense, I mean, terrific, terrific job Carlos Corbrand's done. And let's be honest as well, they didn't really do anything in January either to strengthen. They literally yeah. just brought Andrew in on loan and Carol Eiting back to the club uh, and Jamal Blackman in on a free. So it just goes to show that they were satisfied with what they'd got uh, at the midpoint of the season. Didn't feel the need to go in and do it anything different. They've stuck to the plan that they had at the start of the season. Most certainly exceeded expectations that they had themselves. And I'll tell you something, if they do go up, I think without a doubt, it would be one of the most surprised championship promotions we've ever seen. From a Middlesbrough point of view, they're slipping up at the wrong time. Uh, a good point away at the Cherries on Good Friday, but they look—they just looked a bit uncertain at the back in this one, which I thought, which is not what we think of a Chris Wilder team. They didn't seem to have that usual control in defence and in midfield that they usually have. Speculation going around about Chris Wilder's future at the minute with the Burnley job, which doesn't help. And he's had a couple of opportunities to completely squash it, and I don't think he has really. He's not put any flat fire on it he's not you know put flames on it but by the same token he's not really completely ruled himself out so I don't think that helps that said there's still only three points adrift of the playoffs with a game in hand but certainly in the last three or four games it feels like a massive opportunity loss particularly the defeats at the Riverside Stadium Nottingham Forest 4 West Brom nil was the late game on uh, Monday and after Friday's defeat at Luton, Nottingham Forest getting back on the horse at the first time of asking, as all good teams do. Um, I want to hone in on Sam Surridge, because I thought he was excellent. Came in and led the line brilliantly, fantastically, I should say. Uh, no Keenan Davis, no loose grabbing due to injuries. And that's a big blow for Forest, particularly Keenan Davis, who's been integral since coming in in January from Aston Villa. Did a big bit on the pod about him last week. But Surridge is someone I've always liked him. I found it weird that Stoke didn't persevere with him a little bit more to try and get the best out of him. Does he have the same sort of mobility and pace that Keenan Davis has? No. But I think his movement in the six-yard box, and he's a bit more of a penalty box strike, a little bit more of a, a poacher. And I think that if you get give him the service, and when you've got players like Zinkenagel and Brennan Johnson feeding him, he'll score goals. And I think it was a bit of astute business that maybe probably went under the radar a little bit. Definitely an upgrade on, on Lyle Taylor. As, as their third-choice striker, in my opinion. And he came in, and I thought his movement, his hold-up play um, was excellent, and I thought he was really, really good. That said, Forrest were helped along the way by West Brom. I thought the handball for Dart by uh, Furlong was correct. It was a penalty. I think the second yellow was a little bit harsh. And then the second goal didn't go for West Brom either with the officiating where the, the referee, who was yards away, overruled the linesman uh, to give a throw into Nottingham Forest, which led to the corner. 
Uh, it nearly led to a goal for Zinconago, but then led to a corner, which was thumped in by Ryan Yates. What I would say on that one is, there's a lot that happens from the throwing getting given on the halfway line and Ryan Yates heading the ball into the back of the net. So West Brom not um, certainly played their part in that one. And, the, you know, you, you've got experienced players. You can't switch off like that and just point to the referee for the second goal. When you're already at 1-0 down, you're already down to 10 men. And um, I thought that West Brom should have done better, albeit slightly unfortunate. I'm calling the Jack Colback goal as a cross. I'm going to say it here and now. I think it's a cross. I think that a lot of people will say, yes, he's not shaped for that. I think he's trying to side foot it back into the area and he's slightly off balance and slices across it. I think it's a cross. What do you think? Whatever it was, it was stunning. And I've it was it stunning. Times already. But, but was no. it a cross or was it a shot? I think I'd be inclined to say cross, but he, there was nobody in the middle, whether he's not even glanced up. They say it was a good cross. Quickly. Well, whatever it was, it, it was truly stunning. It'll be one he'll never forget, that's for sure. But judging by his reaction, you would suggest you would suggest a cross, wouldn't you? But um, it was a goal he'll remember forever, there's no doubt about that. But um, Forrest collectively, again, brilliant. I mean, yeah, like you've said, they were helped by some some dubious decisions, shall we say, some interesting ones, but but decisions or not, I thought West Brom were absolutely awful, to be quite honest with you. They didn't they didn't lay a single glove on Forrest. I don't recall Bryce Samba having anything to do. I thought Forrest absolutely coasted to it. I thought they looked far, far, far superior. They looked up and they looked ready. Obviously, they'd had that setback at Luton on, on Good Friday, which, again, featured some dubious decisions, shall we say. But Forrest have now won six of the last seven games. They're looking really good, particularly at home. It's six home wins in a row now. And the fact that now, obviously, they're scoring goals as well quite regularly. That's now ten. That's now three times they've scored four in the last seven as well. So they are beginning to find their shooting boots. And obviously, they did that on, mon- on Monday evening without Keenan Davis and Lewis Graben as well. So they're looking a good bet. They're just continuing to do what they do. They're obviously, I think it's nailed on that they're going to get the top six. Automatic is not out of the question just yet, obviously, with the, the games in hand that they've got, thanks to that FA Cup run that they enjoyed. But seven points behind Bournemouth, five games to play, still got to play each other, obviously. It's not impossible. It's certainly not impossible. But I wouldn't I wouldn't put a lot of money on it, shall we say, for them to sneak into the top two. Had Bournemouth dropped points over the weekend more than they did, then maybe... But I think the top six will be Forrest's ambition. But believe me, I know I've waxed lyrical about Huddersfield, but I really wouldn't want to end up playing Forrest in these playoffs either. So we just rumble on with Forrest, don't we? There's not really too much more to add. They just keep doing what they've been doing. Been terrific. Love watching them. But I thought, I, th- I just thought Monday evening, the viewpoint I had, it was just far too easy for them. I thought they were excellent, but West Brom was so, so poor. Absolutely. I, I thought West Brom were really poor as well. I thought... Well, obviously it ends any hopes of them finishing in the playoffs for definite, as unlikely as that was anyway. And I thought they defended poorly, even with 11 men, and just didn't look hard to play against when they went to down men. It, it, they, sort of, they didn't down tools, but I think the belief... They were flat, went, weren't they? Once, once, the goal went, once the first goal went in, I think the belief was gone. Huge rebuild job there for, for Steve Bruce in the summer. I just wanted to touch on uh, James Garner as well. Actually, I got this down in my notes. I thought he was sensational again. Someone who I think should be certainly in and around the Manchester United squad next season. And if not there, certainly playing Premier League football, whether that's at Forest or on I think, I think there's a good else. chance he will be. Yeah, Obviously, I, I'd cover Man United and 
they've got plans for him. I think Eric Ten Hag obviously looks like being Man United manager. He's renowned for developing youngsters, and I think personally, I think he could be a perfect fit to raise Garner's game. I'm not saying he'll be a certain regular start of a Manchester United, but he's certainly got to be in around the squad next season. And like you said, terrific again on Monday evening. Another terrific corner yet again. And Ryan Yates popping up yet again. It's proven up to be quite the double like those two. But yeah, James Garner, I mean, terrific. Been absolutely outstanding this season. One of several uh, Forest loanees that I'm sure they'd love to keep, but probably won't. Yeah, absolutely. Coventry nil, Bournemouth three. I didn't see this result coming. It's it, Bournemouth and their pesky performance levels. They're really getting on my nerves. They reel you in. They reel you in with bad performances and then just play like the team they should be playing like out of nowhere. This was a much more akin performance to the Huddersfield display we saw two or three weeks ago now where they absolutely just destroyed Huddersfield and showed their Premier League quality. Slight tweak in the tactics from Scott Parker in this one with Jamal Lowe coming into the team in the number 10 role, drifting into different wide areas, which um, allowed Anthony to come inside. and It, it worked and Solanke... Two more goals for him. 26 for the season now and six assists in 41 games. He's played in every single match and that level of consistency with the way he holds the ball up, the way he's able to be a focal point and the consistency of him, I'd say, in terms of selection and performance levels. He would have earned a lot more plaudits this season, I think, if Alexander Mitrovic didn't exist because it's not it's not that out of the question that he could break Ivan Tony's scoring record or certainly match it. I meant five goals in his last three might be a bit in four. So yeah, five goals in the last four is not impossible um, to match Tony's record of 31. And he's been fantastic for Bournemouth. I know you're obviously a massive fan. And it's just confusing. They confuse me, Bournemouth, because when they play like this, when they play like they did at Huddersfield, they're good enough to challenge Fulham for the title. But when they play like they did against Middlesbrough or against Peterborough or against Reading... Um, they look like uh, more of a playoff challenger. Yeah, you're right. And I will say on this, though, I was watching um, Soccer Special on, on Monday afternoon and Paul Merson was covering the game and he was he was praising how well Coventry were playing. He was just Coventry chance after chance. And he said Bournemouth literally were just doing a, a very effective and efficient smash and grab job. So it is proven that they've got the capabilities to, to win in in different ways. But when you're at this stage of the season, performances don't matter. It, it's just all about the points and the victories. And that's what you've got to get on the board. So they've done that. Obviously, a 3-0 win away to Coventry is not to be sniffed at. I really fancy Coventry ahead of this one, I must be honest. But when you've got somebody like Dominic Solanke at the top end of the pitch, who's always reliable, I mean, you're in a good position. And like you said, 26 league goals now this season, 27 in all competitions. 42 goals since the start of last season when you've got somebody like that you've got a chance of winning any game of football at this level and he's been absolutely outstanding but for Scott Parker after a bit of a bit of a blip they've been wobbling a little bit but we're saying they've been wobbling a bit I think it's only something like one defeat in the last nine games it's because we obviously set such a high standard for Bournemouth after the start to the season they had that we expected them to be so so good but they've kept three successive clean sheets now. Obviously, they've not scored in the last two games prior to the Coventry win. So they, they've been firing blanks a little bit. But three clean sheets in a row is, is excellent. That's good going. But like you said, Dominic Solanke, it's when you've got someone like him, you, you can do you can do things to teams and hurt them, even when you're not at your very, very best. So obviously, Bournemouth now, it was a big three points. They desperately needed it, obviously, with Forrest and Huddersfield still sniffing around that top two. 
Luton as well. Shouldn't discredit them, obviously. Games in hand that uh, Bournemouth and Forest have got on those makes it a little bit less likely. But I think it is now getting to the stage where you you do fancy Bournemouth to get over the line in the top two. Six point, uh, seven point gap to Forest. Each got five games left, which is more than anyone else in the division. Still got to play each other. It's not impossible that Forest could sneak up on them. I mean, Bournemouth lose at the weekend, say Forest win. Back to four points or whatever. This was one of the games, though, that I really it's, thought when when we discussed it last week and I looked where might they drop points. I thought they would lose at Coventry. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I'll be honest. I backed Coventry on my accumulator on Monday. I did fancy Coventry to do this one. Obviously, Coventry have stepped it up in recent weeks against the big teams. Obviously, beat Fulham. Uh, got a United. point at Huddersfield. Beat Sheffield United. That's what I mean. They've had it in them. Obviously, done the double over Fulham and got a draw at Bournemouth early in the season. So, wasn't one to be sniffed at. So, a really good victory for Bournemouth and. When you look at them, they've got five games to go. Seven clear of Forest. As I say, they've still got to go toe-to-toe in the penultimate game of the season. Can you imagine if they're both still in with the chance? Uh, Forest is still in with the chance, I should say, how crucial that should be. But looking at Bournemouth's fixtures, Fulham next. Doesn't really get much bigger than that on Saturday. Then they go to Swansea. Then they go to Blackburn. Home to Forest, home to Millwall. So, realistically, Bournemouth have not got the easiest of runnings, it must be said. Aside from probably Swansea, they're still playing teams with something to play for. I know obviously Blackburn are out of sorts at the minute, but mathematically they still get into the play can still get into playoffs. So not the easiest of runnings on paper, but if you want promotion, you've got to beat the very best. So it should be a challenge that Bournemouth relish, but five games to go, seven points clear. You'd expect them to do it, but I wouldn't rule Forrest out just yet. Mm, no, I do think this was a big statement of intent, though, from Bournemouth. I, I agree, say. I agree. Big win, big win. I, I would expect them to go over the line now if they can produce anywhere near to this level of performance uh, mm. and that at Huddersfield between now and the end of the season, they'll have too much for the teams they've got left. Be, and be, they will if get they beat Fulham, I think that will probably tip my mind if they do beat Fulham on Saturday. I think I'm, I was... I was potentially leaning to Forest. I think I'm now leaning back to, to Bournemouth after the two matches over the weekend, which shows how fickle Exciting, isn't it? It's exciting, and I'm very <laughs> fickle and easily swayed. For Coventry, they're now four points adrift of the playoffs and 11th. Four points isn't a lot, but when there's five teams between them and the playoffs, it might be a lot. Just took the words out of my mouth. Might be too much traffic, <laughs> traffic ahead of them, which is a phrase I've enjoyed using for for the last month or so. Um, another big winner in the playoff race was Car- uh, was Luton Town as they beat Cardiff City 1-0 away from home. Perhaps not the most exciting game, but a fantastic Easter for Luton. Back-to-back wins and finding a way to win ugly on Monday. They definitely weren't at the best. Played very well against Forest, but not at the best uh, in this game. A low-margin affair that probably could have finished and should have finished 0-0. But Luton finding that way to win ugly. Tired legs. They picked up three more injuries on Monday as well. It does concern me. Shea, the goalkeeper, with a knee injury on your dimmer with a groin problem as well. They're already missing Henry Lansbury, Pelly Rudder-Kampanzu, Luke Berry, Cameron Jerome, Glenn Rees out for the season. I think it's fair to say that Luton are playing on adrenaline right now. 0.45 XG created throughout the game, come away with a 1-0 win. I think it might be good enough to get them in the playoffs, but I'm not sure it's good enough when you're playing the likes of Forest or Sheffield United, or Middlesbrough, or Huddersfield, or whoever finishes in the playoffs. They need to get some of those players back, because I do worry that they will burn out with the players they've got. They've already got a small squad. That level of injuries is unsustainable, and it does concern me a little bit that they might get over the line and then just run out of gas, which would be absolutely no fault of their own, but it does concern me a little bit. 
Yeah, it's certainly going to play on Nathan Jones's mind, isn't it? But results-wise, I mean, a terrific weekend for them. Back-to-back wins, back-to-back clean sheets. Couldn't have asked for any more. Obviously, the Cardiff win was it was gritty, it was ugly. But I've always said those gritty one nil away wins are the very best wins. And at this stage of the season, performances do not matter. It's all about the points. It doesn't matter whether you're in 5 nil, one nil, 2-1, whatever. You've just got to get three points on the ball when you're in this situation. And Luton have passed both tests. To beat a Forest side, obviously, that was flying was a really big statement. To win at Cardiff, which was, it was a banana skin, potentially. It really was. Cardiff have been doing reasonably well in recent weeks. They've certainly improved. So, to have picked up six points in those two games without conceding it is really good going. So, he's put them in a good position. Six points clear of seventh with, with three games to go. I think it looks a good bet that Luton will get in there now. I think the Easter weekend was the point where you either whether you either judge Luton as genuine contenders or potential outsiders or maybe, maybe not. But I think now you have to consider them as, as genuine genuine finishes in there. So I think I would go as far as saying now. And that this could come back to bite me. We know the Championship has the habit of doing that. But I personally would say, following the Easter results, that Huddersfield, Luton and Forest, I think, are now guaranteed a playoff place. I would go um, as far as saying that. I think sixth is the only one left for grabs now. I might be left with egg on my face by the weekend, next weekend, whatever. But I think Luton, I think Luton now have effectively got the job done, even though obviously the mathematics suggest otherwise. I'm not sure I'm quite there with Luton yet. Despite the results, the injuries concern me. I agree on Forest and I agree on Huddersfield. I, I think Luton will get there, but I'm not quite confident enough to say definite just because of the injuries. Um, it does concern I mean, me a little bit. They've not got the easiest of run-ins, it must be said. I mean, Blackpool at home next, that's a game really they've got to win, I think, just to assure themselves. Because after that, they've got Fulham away, be difficult. Then they've got Reading at home on the final day, which you would think Reading, unless a miracle happens in the coming weeks, Reading will be safe by then and no problems at all and they'll just have nothing to play for. So, I think Blackpool on Saturday is the one Luton really need to win. If they can get it, get the job done, get three wins on the board in a row, I think that'd be it. But I'm, I am pretty certain now Luton will finish in the top six. I'd be, I'd be surprised if they dropped out now. They're currently, what, six points clear of seventh place Millwall. There's nobody apart from Middlesbrough in terms of the chasing pack that's got a game in hand on them. I, I, I think Luton are there. I really do. I think it, I expect them to finish in the top six. I agree with you, but it's going to be it's it just concerns me those injuries. Fingers crossed that some of those players come back and they continue in the form that they're they're currently in. One of those teams that are trying to get sixth and certainly take advantage of any slip ups is Millwall, who are now probably in the box seat to take advantage of any more slips after moving up to seventh, one point behind Blades in sixth. 32 points from 20 games since the turn of the year, George, which is the sixth best record in the championship. And I sort of said last week or two weeks ago that Millwall wouldn't get in the playoffs. And I think after losing to Swansea at home, who had nothing to play for, and losing, they lost the game before that as well, I can't recall who, against off the top of my head, I think a lot of Millwall fans would have said that it was season over. That said... They're now right in the thick of it. It's also They are also helped by the fact that nobody seems to be winning between 6th and 10th. No one can string back-to-back wins together. And if you can string back-to-back wins together, like Millwall uh, have managed over the last few weeks, I know they drew at Preston on Friday, but if you can string four points, six points over a couple of games together, 
you can get yourself right back in the mix. Look at QPR with four points now back in the in the equation. Um, a little bit of fortune in this one with the opener from Scott Malone, but <laughs> well, that's probably doing it a little bit of disservice. Say that slight in inverted commas bit of fortune with his, his great tackle slash finish from the edge of the area. Richie Smallwood, the unlucky man, firing it into Malone's foot, which found the bottom corner. Um, and Tom Bradshaw's finish was 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 a good goal. Nice to see the front two linking up. And I think with Afobi and Bradshaw, I don't think individually they're good enough or probably not consistent enough in terms of fitness to get you 20 goals. But I think both of them easily have got 10 to 15 in them each, depending on how fit they can stay. They've both had issues with injuries. But I think they're both goal scorers. And I think I like that combination. They've got a bit of pace in behind with Afobe and a, a physical presence. Bradshaw's a really good finisher, I think, in the box. So I like that as a combination pair. And if they can keep them fit, I think between them, they're good for 30 goals if they can stay fit throughout the course of a season. Um, and Millwall fans are really believing in this. And, and credit to Rowett, because as I say, the season looked finished when they lost to Swansea three games ago. But seven points since then out of nine is a great return. And they're taking advantage of the teams in and around them dropping points. They really are. They're really now, I think, the team in the ascendancy and the one to watch. And we always say, don't we, that there's that one team that makes that late burst from nowhere. And Millwall are threatening to do that, even though, bizarrely, they've only won two of their last six games. That's the strange thing, isn't it? But you you look at the situation and with Millwall and you look at it and you think they've not been blisteringly brilliant, but they've been efficient and effective. And I don't know if you've realised now, they've got the best home record in the Championship. They've picked up more points at home than anyone else. 42 points at home. It's, it's more than anyone else in the division. It's, it's a real statement of intent. But I think the thing that surprised me with Millwall, this run that they've put together, is the fact that they've, they've seemingly come from nowhere, but they've only won two of the last six. So it's a little bit strange in the fact that they're now right hot on the heels of Sheffield United and really pushing them now, it seems, that they're going to be the ones to break into that. But prior to that, obviously, they went on a five-game winning run. They've only lost two games since losing to Fulham on the 8th of February. So they've overall been in really good form. And I think four points over Easter at home, uh, obviously away at Preston at home to Hull, have improved recently. It's a pretty solid return. So Gary Rowett, I think he's done a really, really good job. Again, not spent lavish amounts of money. Recruitment's been smart in recent years. And I said, didn't I, earlier this season that Millwall are just lacking that extra gear just to take them to that next level. And they've certainly started to show that they have already got that extra extra element to their play and to their credentials. So I don't think you can rule them out at the minute. I think considering we've obviously we've honed in so much as, as Middlesbrough QPR as the likely top six candidates for much of the season, Millwall now two points ahead of them with three games to go, uh, four games in Middlesbrough's case. You can't discredit them. You really can't rule them out of this. And let's be honest, on current form, Millwall are the team to beat. Middlesbrough stuttering, Blackburn is stuttering, Sheffield United, one point from the last six on offer in their two games over Easter. At the minute, I think Millwall are serious threats to, to those teams around them. And Sheffield United will be looking over their shoulder with a great deal of concern, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. I didn't. Ex- I have to say, I didn't expect Millwall to put this sort it's of... come from nowhere. It really has. And... I think we, I think partly that comes down to the fact that Millwall always seem to be flirting at this point of the season. Probably probably two or three games earlier than this point, really, and then fall away. So perhaps that's been in my mind where I've where I've yeah, dismissed would, them a little bit. I would agree with that. And just on Middlesbrough's next three games, their last three games, it's a good opportunity. Really, is they've got Birmingham away next, then they've got Peterborough at home, 
and then they go to Bournemouth on the final day. So those next two games, if they can get six points from those two, I think they're in with a hell of a chance, I really do. Another team that's in with a chance, but I don't really know how they're in with a chance, is Blackburn Rovers. And they, on current form, should probably be dead and buried in the race for the, the playoff places, if we're being honest. They lost at home 1-0 to Stoke City on Easter Monday, following up a 2-1 collapse at Peterborough on Friday, where they were down to 10 men for most of the game, led 1-0, going into dying minutes and conceded twice in the last 10 minutes to lose 2-1 at Peterborough. They then followed that up with a 1-0 home defeat to Stoke. And they're somehow still only three points shy of the playoffs. They've taken 18 points from 19 games since the turn of the year, which puts them 19th in the annual table. Patterns across Tony Mowbray's career show that his teams generally peak before Christmas and then drop off after the new year. But this has been an unprecedented collapse. Now, there are reasons behind it if we look at the context. Um, obviously, they've missed Ben Brereton Diaz for a large portion of that. And for a, for a strong number of games, the underlying data was showing that Blackburn was still creating the chances. They were still playing well, but they were missing those chances. However, in this game, in the first half in particular, I thought they were really sluggish in the first half. Second best to Stoke, who, let's be fair, have got nothing to play for. If you can't, at this point of the season, beat a team, they've got nothing to play for at home, especially after the disappointment of Friday, then that's a big concern to me. They did improve after half-time, but they couldn't muster a route back into the game. Low on confidence. Tony Mowbray saying that the atmosphere in the stadium was toxic after the match. Um, He's getting a lot of stick at the minute. A lot of people want him to leave. He's out of contract in the summer, so there's a lot of uncertainty on that, as as there is over the futures of Joe Rothwell, Ryan Niambe, and a few others as well. And for me, they just looked dead on the feet after conceding late twice against Peterborough, albeit they had 10 men. Another poor result against Stoke. And I think there's going to be changes throughout the summer and I don't think they're going to be able to get to the playoffs. And when you look at some of the fixtures they've had and the form of the teams in around them, which we've spoken about, they really have missed an opportunity to, to get their way in there, to not pick up anything from Peterborough away and Stoke at home, particularly after leading at Peterborough. I think mentally this team has collapsed and I think the, the club as a whole is just shot at the minute. Shot of confidence, shot of belief a little bit maybe and the fans' frustration is, is coming out from what was a really promising position and an overachievement. Well, let's not forget that. They should never have been in that position really for the squad and for what they did in the summer in the first place. But as I say, 19th best form since the turn of the year over a 20-game period, um, that's a concern. Collapse is certainly one word for it, isn't it? It's been a remarkable collapse. And I'm glad you mentioned the point about the position that they're in in the grand scheme of things, because if Blackburn Rovers supporters at the start of the season knew they were going to be in this position with three games to go, they'd have absolutely snapped your hand off and been really excited and really upbeat. But when you take into account where they were at Christmas and the form that they've been producing and the football that they've been showing, it's been a monumental collapse now and it, and it results potentially in the season ending as a failure from where they've fallen from, even though in the grand scheme of things look at it as a bigger picture from the start of the season. Finishing 7th or 8th would be a good a good turnout, wouldn't it? But their form has just been absolutely torrid. I mean, it's it's one win in nine games, five uh, four games now without a victory. Obviously, back-to-back defeats as well, just one goal scored in that time. 
it's a really sorry state of affairs. And obviously, Ben Brereton Diaz's injury has, has not helped matters. But Blackburn have still got quality, certainly in attacking ranks without him, to, to make things happen and impose themselves. So it's just a bizarre way that things have, have changed, considering how good they were between kind of mid-October and, and late December. They were just absolutely terrific, clean sheet after clean sheet, win after win. And they just looked so good. And it was almost like... Nobody's going to stop this team. They're, they're, they're terrific. They really are. And in him recent months since since Christmas, they've just they've collapsed really. And I mean, when you when you consider they've won two games, two games since they beat Middlesbrough one nil on the twenty fourth of January, that is a torrid return. It really is. And I I am. I mean, it's not impossible. The mathematics show that it isn't, but I'd be very surprised now if Blackburn snuck into the into the top six on on current form. They they look shot. They look like they're on the beach already, which is surprising considering what's at stake, what potentially could happen. I don't think they look like but, they're on the beach. I think that's a bit unfair. I don't think we've seen a lack of motivation. I think they're just a lack of confidence. They look really poor to me. They just look flat. They look lethargic. Second half against Stoke, they did improve. They did have chances. They were denied by some really good saves and, and good defending. But first half, like you said earlier on, they were they were really, really, really flat and paltry almost. They didn't really offer much. So it is going to be a concern for, for Tony Mowbray. But I'm sure, as the fans are rightly pointing out, he's got to, got to shoulder some of the blame because, like you said, throughout his career, there has been a tendency for, for his teams to have a collapse at some point in the season. Unfortunately for Blackburn, it's come at the the worst possible time for them. Looking at the remaining fixtures, they've got Preston away, Bournemouth at home, Birmingham away. I mean, it's it's not the easiest of running, certainly Preston and Bournemouth, but you just can't see them doing it on current form. You really can't because the goals have dried up significantly for what they were doing before. Defensively, the, the clean sheets have just vanished. So, I do fear for them. It's, uh, it's going to be a disappointing ending to what was building up to be a really exciting campaign unless they turn the heat up in these final three games uh, and give us all a bit of a shock. But it looks like being uh, being another season in the Championship next year for Rovers. Yeah, I think so. I think that's how it's going to go. And they have got a couple of winnable fixtures still. Away at Preston, of course, which is a big derby, which will be my first game on Sky Sports on Monday. And then away at Birmingham on the last day of the season as well. Birmingham are in an absolute mess. In between that, a home game with Blackburn, uh, with Bournemouth, who probably will still have something to play for at that point, so that won't be an easy game. But they could get six points. They're going to have to get six points out of the last three games, I think, to stand any chance realistically. Um, but on current form and with the current trajectory of the team, you wouldn't back against that happening at all. Stoke, in fairness, they're ending the season really well, despite a blip on uh, Friday against Bristol City. Jacob Brown again, illustrating why he's certainly one of the men that they need to build around next season. 12 goals and four assists to his name on top of all the great work he does off the ball and those um, intangibles that we speak about, the way he holds the ball up, the way he offers a focal point for the team. And I think he's a player that's really developed this season, which for a disappointing season for Stoke is is something you've got to take some, um, some confidence and some happiness from. Finally, and it's very weird, I said to you before we record, it's very weird to be wrapping up the weekend roundup on the biggest scoreline of the of the weekend. Blackpool 6, Birmingham 1. I do want to come on to Blackpool and give them a lot of credit because obviously you win 6-1 at home and you don't. fans will be 
shocked that they're probably listening to to their team last. And certainly, I don't want it to make it all about Birmingham. But I have to say, it escaped my attention until Friday that without the points deductions of Derby and Reading, Birmingham would be getting relegated this season and be in the bottom three. It's a sorry mess at St Andrews. It really is that the club is rotting. I think that's just the only word you can say it for it. I don't. I think it's overused when things aren't really that bad. But I think in this case, it fits quite nicely. Or not nicely, should I say really, but it, it fits the brief. The owners are absent. They're hated by the fans. Lee Bowyer's position is under threat. And the, the form is abysmal. Um, only Peterborough and Barnsley have taken less points in 2022 than Birmingham. And Birmingham have played two more games than Barnsley. I don't think Lee Bowyer's a bad manager. And it kind of feels and looks like at the minute whoever goes in there is, is doomed to fail right now with the infrastructure around them, with the feeling of the club. But he has to take his share of the blame of what is, is pretty pitiful form. The fans deserve better. It was a, a limp, lifeless performance against Blackpool. And it just doesn't instill any confidence that next season they won't finish above, they will finish above the, the dotted line ultimately because it's a club in free fall. The atmosphere around the club, we've seen how that can be enough to destabilise any progress on the field, which is not the fault of the fans, of course, I'm not blaming them. But no matter who goes in there, and there's already rumours going around that Lebo, you might leave, um, they've got a mammoth task to try and turn that club around. And if, how many times sure. have we said that over the last few years? It's, it's a sad, sad demise, really. It is, and it's just constant, isn't it, year after year, where they, they are scraping the barrel for relegation and just getting away with it. When you think about back to, to I don't know, about 2015-16 under Gary Rowett, where they were they were, they were giving a, the playoffs a good shot, and obviously since then it's just been a downward spiral, but the ownership is just such a state there, where obviously, like you said, the fans, they've had enough, and who can blame them? They're desperate for change, desperate for answers. But Lee Bowyer at the same time has got to take responsibility for the footballing matters as as like any manager has in the circumstances. And over the last few weeks, it's been a been a really, really torrid spell for Birmingham City. They've conceded 12 goals in the last three games. Obviously, 10 of those in the last two. And it's just a real, real sorry state of affairs, isn't it? They've won just two games since the 12th of February. It's just such a mess. And it is it is a case of you just feel like Birmingham City are just on repeat season after season where they're in a relegation dogfight. And obviously this year they've only been helped by points deductions and, and scenarios like that. So it is a shame because historically they're a big club. It's not that long ago where they were in the Premier League when we'll remember the, the days under, certainly under Steve Bruce and things like that. So it is a shame to see how far they've dropped. And let's not forget, they had a reasonably good start to the season this year as well. They, they started really well. They looked like they could be an outsider for the playoffs. Obviously, the inspired signing of Tahiti Chong was really giving them a lift. And since that that 2-0 win over Derby back in September, it's just been a constant slide down the table. It really has. And you look at them now, 20th. They're only above the relegation zone because of the points deductions and things like that. Derby have been better. Peter will show more fight in recent weeks, Reading the same. So really, you could argue that only Barnsley really have been worse in terms of playing styles and things like that. So it's a mess for Birmingham. It is a sorry state of affairs. I feel for the fans because it's, like I say, it's a historic club with a lot to, a lot of history and a lot of things going for them when things are going right. But at the minute, it's just problem after problem. And Lee Bowyer, I think, is 
He's under threat. I think it's right that he is, even though he's been dealt a bad hand in terms of what he's had to work underneath. And it will be the same for whoever replaces him unless things change drastically. So it does almost feel like it is going to be a losing battle you're walking into as soon as you take that job. So real big changes needed at Birmingham, but it's got to come from the very top. And as we know, that's easier said than done. Absolutely. For Blackpool, of course, really great result for them. Credit to them for, for twisting the knife. A double for Jake Beasley, signed from Rochdale, his first championship start. And he'll add to the, the attacking trio of Yates, Medine, Lavery. CJ Hamilton impressed as well in this one. And with Keshi Anderson coming back from injury, Josh Bowler in there as well. They've got options. Neil Critchie's got a lot of attacking um, depth to, to pick from and players that have proved that they can play at championship level this season, which I think a few question marks over players coming into the season. I don't think Blackpool fans were you know, certain that Keshi Anderson, someone like that, was going to be at it at championship level. Maybe Gary Bedeen as well, but he's just signed a new contract. Blackpool have had a magnificent season and credit to them and Neil Critchley. That rounds up what has been a fantastic championship Easter weekend. A couple of draws to just quickly touch on. We did discuss quickly Reading 4, Birmingham 4, but just on Swansea from their point of view, um, disappointing to throw it away, but some lovely goals scored. Matty Wolf with the equaliser, Joel Perot with a nice goal as well, and Oberfemi continuing his great form with with the what was the fourth. And as I say, McIntyre with a ridiculous four days scoring at Bramall Lane and then a last-minute equaliser on Monday. And then finally, Bristol City won, Sheffield United won. I think Blades were unlucky in this one. Really struggling with injuries. No senior striker in the squad. McBurney and Jebison joining Billy Sharp, Rian Brewster and David McGoldrick on the sidelines. The importance of Morgan Gibbs-White can't be understated, really. Um, he came to the fore again for them to find the equaliser, but they had chances in the first half. Illiman and Jai probably wasted the best of those blazing over the bar and they were made to rue them when uh, Bristol City, of course, took the lead. But I think Blades were good value for at least a point, probably good enough to win. And I think it was a better performance than they produced on Friday against Reading. Got to feel for them with the injuries. And I think if they can get Billy Sharp back, I would still fancy them to finish in the playoffs. But without Billy Sharp, I think that they probably won't have enough because these injuries are unsustainable. Um, Bristol City, a good performance or certainly a good result for them. Semenyo, Vyman and Martins causing problems as usual. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm going to round off this week's podcast as usual with our shocks and bankers looking ahead to the action on Saturday. George, what have you got for me? Well, I'm going to I'm going to actually go with the Friday night game for my uh, banker this weekend. Got to go with Huddersfield to beat Barnsley. Really can't see anything other than a routine home win for the Terriers on Friday night. Obviously, we waxed lyrical about them earlier on with how well they've been going. Obviously, Barnsley as dead as, as as good as dead and buried now. So it'd be, it'd be hard to say, say anything. I thought you were going to say dead as a dodo then. Dead as a dodo. Nah. But in terms of a shock, there was a few I could have gone for this weekend, but I'm going to go with Cardiff to win at Sheffield United. Obviously, Reading have proven that it's not impossible, even though the Blades have been absolutely terrific at Bramall Lane under Paul Hecking bottom, gone really well. But Cardiff have... They've got the ability to spring a surprise and Reading proved on uh, on Friday that it's not impossible. So going to go for Cardiff as my shock this weekend. So Huddersfield, the banker at home to Barnsley and as a shock, Cardiff to win at Sheffield United. For my shock, I'm going to go for Swansea to beat Middlesbrough despite their late collapse at, uh, at Reading on Monday. I think Swansea have been in great form recently. Certainly look like they can score goals. Middlesbrough, the form's not been great recently. They still look a little bit defensively 
not vulnerable, that's not the right word, but just less assured. And they've obviously, without Dale Fry at the minute, Solbamba stepped into the heart of the back line. Matt Crooks is suspended for the next three games. So that's a blow off for the next two games, should I say, missed Monday. Um, so I just think that Swansea maybe could cause an upset there. And then for my banker, I'm actually going for Derby to beat Bristol City at home, which is probably a bit, I probably could have maybe got away with that. As my, probably not as my shot, but I think Derby are going to beat Bristol City at home. I think the mood around the club and the emotion that came out on Monday, I think that the atmosphere in the stadium at Pride Park will be, you know, pretty rousing. And I think that they will be a, a pretty travel sick Bristol City side at Pride Park. So I'm going for Swansea to beat Middlesbrough as my shock and my bankers Derby to beat Bristol City. And that rounds off this week's episode of the Championship Chat podcast. If you do enjoy the podcast, please make sure you subscribe in your usual podcast app and make sure you're following us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24. Sharing the podcast helps go a long way to helping us reach new listeners. So if you do enjoy the weekly breakdowns, please do drop us a retweet when the episode goes live. You can support this podcast as well with our Ko-Fi page, contributing the cost of a cup of coffee towards our monthly overheads on a one-off basis. Link to donate is in the podcast description if you do feel so inclined. Thank you as always for your support. Have a great week. Hope you've enjoyed your Easter break and we'll catch you next Monday for another episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier.